Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning. Everybody doing good today? You got that extra hour of sleep in? Ah. Well, for those of you who don't know, obviously I'm not Pastor Charlie. He's doing an installation service at another church this morning, and so he asked if I would preach. My name's Tony Mazurka, and I'm the director out of Camp Jim, which means Jesus is mine in Pillager, Minnesota, and I see some of my summer staff came just to hear me speak. Wow. That's just, that's just so touching. Um, I'm going to open with this. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember Johnny Carson, yeah. Buddy Hackett, some of those old timers. The young people are like, what are you talking about, Hatchet? No, Hackett. <laughs> but uh, Buddy Hackett told this joke about a three-legged chicken. And for those of you that know that, just told back. I know Ronald Reagan did the same joke. Yes, that was a president, by the way. And um, <laughs> boy, aren't you glad you sat in the front row this morning? Yeah. But anyways, there's this country guy that decided to take, or the city guy decided to take a tour in the country, and he's driving down a country road about 30 miles an hour, and he looked to his, out a side window, and there's a three-legged chicken running right alongside him. He thought, well, I'll be. Never knew a chicken could run that fast. I didn't know they had three legs. Matter of fact, that chicken was so quick that when he sped up to 55 miles an hour, it not only kept up with him, but it zipped up in front of him, crossed the road, and went down a side street. Well, this guy said, I got to see where this chicken came from. So he pulls down this farmer's driveway, and sure enough, there stands the old farmer, and he says, are you the guy that owns a three-legged chicken? He said, well, why, yes, I do. Matter of fact, we raise three-legged chickens here. And the guy said, why would you do a thing like that? He said, well, don't you enjoy drumsticks? The man says, well, I sure do. Well, how about your wife? Well, yeah. Well, if you ever have company, there you go. Well, the city boy by this time is going, wow. So how's it taste? Farmer looks at him and goes, I don't know, we never caught one. <laughs> so why do I say that? This morning I'm just going to touch a, a base on a topic called sanctification. And for a lot of us, sanctification is something that we don't want to think of because we're just so busy running the race, just like that three-legged chicken. We don't take time to really see where God wants us to be. And so we're running that race and we're doing really good, but we never really come to full potential what God has for us. And I just want to open Ephesians 2.9. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's handiworks. Um, it's interesting, the handiwork comes from the Greek word phomia, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, which means a thing made. Basically, it's talking about God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece. But how do we get to be that full masterpiece? Well, it requires us going through the process of sanctification. And um, I know for me, this has been a, a year of sanctification. I run a Christian camp that um, we're hit pretty hard by the pandemic. And uh, we've stayed healthy, that kind of thing. But there's been a lot of other stressors. And I know when it first hit, I thought to myself, Lord, all this work, 16 years, it feels like down the drain. We went from where we were being one of the fastest growing Christian camps in the state, seeing some of the highest return rates in salvation. Discipleship was just soaring. We got a staff of 12, started with two. Lord, why are you doing this to me? And I realized right there that it was my pride God needed to work on. It isn't my camp. 
I didn't do all that. It's God's camp. But the director needs to work on a few things. Now, that doesn't mean the whole pandemic's my fault, by the way, in case you're thinking that right now. That's not, not what I'm saying here. But I know for me, that was something I need to work out. And that's what sanctification, sanctification is about, is working out those things in our life that God needs to remove that we could become more Christ-like. What are some things that get in our way, though, in this process? Well, one of the first things we run into is control. We want to control what we're going to work on next. I think today I just want to work on some little things. Maybe, maybe I don't dress quite right. Maybe today we'll work on modesty. Well, that's not how that works. If we want to really follow Christ and allow him to change us, we need to give him people the control of what needs to be changed. There's a warning about what happens to people that don't want to become more like Christ. And uh, it comes from the scriptures, of course. And it talks a lot about whitewashed tombs. In biblical times, there's a couple different reasons why they whitewashed tombs. And, and Jesus and Paul and many other people warned about being a whitewashed tomb. But part of why they whitewashed tombs was it made them look good. It helped preserve them. A lot of those tombs were carved into a rock or on a hillside, and it made it look good. But there was another part. It was a warning because back in those days, there were a lot of pilgrimages. And if you were to be too close to the dead, you were defiled. So they would whitewash the tombs with lime as a warning to pilgrims, to religious leaders, don't go near there, that's bad. And so we're to be careful of being a whitewashed tomb. Matter of fact, Paul goes as far as to say that the ramifications of being just a whitewashed tomb is hell. So we don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. We don't want to look good on the outside but never work on the things that are on the inside. Um, what is our goal with sanctification? Well, we want to hear that well done from God someday. Isn't that what we all want? To get to the end of this life and hear Jesus say, well done, enter into your reward. There's some encouragement when it comes to sanctification. The encouragement is that God understands. He's already been through this. Matter of fact, he went to the cross and took the penalty. There's nothing we can endure that's going to be harsher than what he did already. So that's an encouragement. But we all struggle with this. I can't do it. I've tried, Lord. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but I can't do it. Well, that's because we can't do it. It needs God to work through us to help us to be able to get there. So it's that continual surrendering over, Lord, you want me to work on what? Pride? Oh, no, 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 no. If I quit working so hard at camp right now, the whole thing's going to fail. Wait a second. If I truly understand how this works, God did it in the first place. I was just the person that happened to be there. So maybe I need to give him back some of that control and let him do it. Maybe I need to realize that my failures are going to be good in the long run. Uh, we did have to lose half of our staff. Those are hard conversations when you tell friends that can't be here anymore. I don't have the place for you anymore. Can't pay you. But at the same time, it helps you to understand the suffering that's going out in the world and all the people that are working in other jobs that have lost their jobs. I can look at what they're going through because I've kind of walked alongside of people going through that. If I hadn't experienced that, I'd have no clue. I'm going to take the easy way out today. 
And you're probably thinking, oh, you're done? No. <laughs> that would be giving you guys the easy way out today. Um, and you guys will have to put up with this because you've seen this already. When summer started, the beginning of the year, I had to figure out how are we going to take 60-some summer staff and counselors and volunteers and to be able to teach them to grow spiritually. And I was racking my brain because I knew this was going to be a discipleship thing and that ties into sanctification. And so I started scouring YouTube. I do read the Bible too, just so in case you're wondering. And uh, I ran across a skit guy's um, skit, I guess you call it. And I thought, man, this is incredible. This is exactly what we're dealing with. God is working in our lives. And sometimes, to put it bluntly, it sucks. It hurts. Feels like God's hammering on you. I feel like I've been hammered on all year. Well, they did this really cool skit, or sketch, as you might call it, on that very topic. And so we're going to play that, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit afterwards. So you guys got that all working? All right. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean... Maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here, and maybe four to... So made the platter. Lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Oh, the platypus. All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk, or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose the chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. 
You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather plague uh, of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child, in the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both. What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, holding me up. I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. 
I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me. If you'll take and I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. 
Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Where do you go from there, huh? Um, I should, I'm going to share this. Of, a lot of you don't know me. So I grew up in Mora, Minnesota, little rural farm area. We were loggers. Dad was a mechanic. We went to church loyally, Christmas, Easter's, weddings, and funerals. Was a, Dad was a Seventh-day Adventist when they went to church a few times a year. Mom was a Missouri Senate Lutheran. And they sent me to an AG Christian school. On Sundays, I learned to wash and detail my car. That was my Sunday routine. Pretty much the whole time I had a car growing up. Prior to that, we worked. And so I'd established that habit in my life. That was the way life went. Sunday was a day off. We weren't logging, we weren't doing mechanics, we were relaxing. We watched wrestling, high priorities. Sometimes we'd turn on the Glass Cathedral Church thing. I don't even remember the name of that church anymore. Glass Cathedral, some dead guy preached there. Um, but that was growing up. Went into the service, carried on that tradition of Sunday was the day, well, what you get for a day off in the military, and um, ran around, got in trouble, got out of the service, and I realized, huh, I'm not really growing spiritually at all. Just kind of stuck. So I had to start breaking those habits, going to church. I realize now as I'm older that the longer you live and the longer you allow Satan to have influence in your life, the longer you tell God, well, let me control what you're going to work on in my life, the more stuff you have to work on for the rest of your life. And that's a bummer. So an encouragement to you young folks, start now. Save yourself the headaches. It may sound simple as breaking a routine of washing and waxing your car on Sunday. You know, give God a day. But that was hard for me. My family did not grow up going to church. I married my wife, who was very faithful church attenders, and so it was kind of an interesting dichotomy as God was working that out in us. Those little things that we're allowing to be habits right now will turn into addicted habits later on. So I just want to start with that. Um, we're going to do a little bit of walking through the book of Hebrews, starting in chapter 1. Book of Hebrews chapter 1, or not chapter 1, chapter 12. Sorry about that. Hebrews chapter 12. And um, we're going to kind of walk through that a little bit. For those of you who don't remember, Hebrews chapter 11 talked a lot about by faith. By faith, God did this. By faith, Moses did that. By faith, Joseph did this. And the point was that God walked with all those men, and it was by their faith in Christ Jesus, they received their reward. So as we talk about sanctification, it's by faith in God that he will take care of things that we will be able to get through this time of sanctification. This spring when I woke up in April, had a hailstorm wipe out my roof of my house, 
two vehicles. I was not having a good day. My septic then failed, the well then shut down, <laughs> uh, and on and on. Then camp got hit by a hailstorm, I think we had $120,000 in damage there. I thought, God, what in the world? Had some staffing issues I had to work through. That isn't fun. And I just kept getting on this pity party of why in the world is all this happening to me? I'm still working through that because as I drove out this very morning, this very morning, I looked out at this Quonset hut shed we have. It's made of some kind of supposedly heavy-duty tarp material. And I realized the entire tarp material split down the middle and is now laying on both sides of the shed. Going, what? When am I supposed to work on that? But you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. Because some of the other projects we had going on, like the fact the wiring in the basement was hanging out of the walls, and I'd ripped holes in walls and put in a new wall, but didn't have time to get to that because we had this pandemic thing that kind of tied up all my time. Oh, by the way, I'm the maintenance director at camp now, too, and the program director. I got three hats sitting on a shelf. I just can't remember which one goes on when. I had some friends call me up, and last week they spent two, almost three days helping wire that basement and get sheetrock up. Well guy, he fixed the well. Septic guy says, as soon as we can get the ground so that we can get down that hill, we're going to fix the septic. God provides. He works through that. And every time we go through something like that, become a little bit less, we'll just call tweaked out when bad things happen. When I saw the roof split open, I didn't react nearly as bad as I would have reacted back in April. Matter of fact, God knew I needed to work on this so much that one day I was going to borrow the camp's track hoe. Anybody driven a track hoe, big loader unit tracks? They're worthless on snow. Matter of fact, they're kind of dangerous on snow because they slide sideways so easily and they're really touchy. So I needed to borrow that. So I had a friend who had a triple axle trailer say, we'll load it up, we'll bring it to your house, and then you'll have it to dig the septic. Cool, sounds great. Well, guess what day we decided to load that up? right in the middle of that first blizzard. So here we are standing in six inches of snow trying to load a track hole onto a trailer. By the way, they don't climb trailers in the snow. They we got so now you've got an 18,000-pound unit sliding around on this trailer. We got it on the trailer, thought, okay, home stretch. It's probably about 7 o'clock at night now. We zip down the road. It's only got to go 1.4 miles. We made it about 0.2 miles and realized we cannot get up the other side of the hill. So we unload the death trap, I mean the track hoe. <laughs> and being the brilliant man I was, I said, well, hey, I'll just drive that the rest of the way. Makes perfect sense. Started down the road and I realized somebody borrowed the track hoe. And they managed to break the window out of the bottom of the track hoe, which, by the way, that window's important because that's what allows the defroster to work. So now, it's 7.30 at night, and I'm having to open up all these windows. So all the snow is now on me. So I'm wet, so I'm getting grumpy. Well, now it's dark, so I figure I better turn the lights on. I hit the switch for the lights. No lights. Same guy that had borrowed it knocked the window out of it, knocked the lights off of it. So here I am, in the dark, driving an 18,000-pound track hoe in the snow. I can't see. I'm on a county road. And I'm going, well, Lord, I guess if I hit something, it won't hurt me. 
And I may never even know if I ran them over, so I'll have to wait until morning. I got down my driveway, and a couple hunters, they saw me. My driveway's about four-tenths of a mile, by the way. And I'm going through the woods, and as those trees get heavier, they kind of canopy. The track hoe is hitting every one of those things, which means all the snow is now in the cab with me, because I always wanted to be a snowman. And I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry at the guy that broke it. I'm getting angry at the maintenance guy that didn't fix it. I'm getting angry at the fact, why is it snowing so much right now? And who put these trees in the way? A couple hunters were setting up a stand on our driveway because there's some public land in between there, and he gave pity on me and drove behind me so at least I could see which trees I was supposed to drive between. I got home, and I was pouting like a baby. But a friend calls up and says, hey, I noticed you have the bobcat running at camp. Why is that? He said, well, somebody borrowed the bobcat, blew the head gasket, and I was trying to get the sealer to seal the head gasket, and I had to let it run for 50 minutes. Well, it's two hours now. He says, you want me to turn off? No, because I need to look at it to make sure the sealer worked or didn't work. So I need to get back to camp. So I'll come get you. Oh, praise the Lord. Look at that. God's real. He's going to help me out. Well, about 30 minutes later, he didn't show up. That same <laughs> hunter shows up in my drive and says, hey, I think you need a ride said, what's up? He said, well, your buddy can't get up the road to get to your house, so I'll give you a ride there. So I eventually get back to camp, turn off the bobcat. By the way, it didn't fix the leak, so now it still didn't help. And I was still pouting like a baby, even though he sent help. And I'm, I'm thinking through this when I finally calmed down, and I thought, okay, Lord, do I need to work on patience as well? As some of these other things, oh, can't we just do one thing at a time? Now we've got patience, compassion, understanding. Man, it's starting to feel like the fruits of the Spirit. Oh. Well, Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. I like to think of race as God has a plan for your life. God knows where he wants you to be. I used to drive ships in the military. And if you've ever driven a warship, they're about 10,000 horsepower. Uh, they don't steer at all unless you're moving forward. Sanctification is the same way. Unless you're moving forward and allowing God to work on something, you're not going to get anywhere. If you just sit there and say, okay, Lord, just fix what needs fixed. How's that going for you? If I had just gone grumping about, about that track hole for the next few weeks, I would have gotten nowhere. I had to sit down and think about, okay, Lord, what can I learn in this? This may not be all about me, but there's something in here I need to learn. So God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for us. There's a race, and a race has a goal. We'll go to Hebrews 12, 2 through 4. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. 
you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus is our example on how we're to get through this life. Jesus kept his eyes focused on the Father. We need to keep our eyes focused on him. As we're going through such trivial things as driving a track hoe in a snowstorm with no windshield or heat. Yeah, I'm still working on some things on this one. I need to focus on, you know, I don't know how many of you, well, anybody around from the 90s on doing this, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? I still use that. I go, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, I know one thing. He wouldn't go around pouting about it. He would just deal with it and move forward. Matter of fact, he'd probably pray blessings on those that did that and offer to help them. So I think about right now in the middle of this election season, and don't worry, I'm not going to get too political. <laughs> one of the things I've learned to do is I pray for the governor. I don't agree with a lot of what he's doing, but I spent a lot of time praying for it. I actually had another pastor get look at me and says, how can you pray for that person? He's da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, because if I allow myself to get to the da-da-da-da-da-da, I get so upset. I get so angry when I watch the cities burning. My daughter goes to Bible college at North Central. That's pretty close to that mess. And I could get so upset. But I realized, you know what? That guy is in danger. There's a lot of people that allow that anger to, to take over. So I pray, first of all, for his safety. Secondly, I pray for his health. I pray that he'll encounter Christ in such a way that he cannot deny the existence of a living God. And I pray for blessings on his family. That took a while to be able to do that. But I thought, what would Jesus do in this situation? Next verse, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastens those he accepts as a child. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? This is an encouragement. You are a child of God. Those of you who have raised kids know disciplining is not fun. I do not like disciplining. My wife's probably much better at it than I am. But when I discipline them, it's not because I take joy in it, because I really don't. It's because I love them and I want them to not have to go through some of the sufferings I went through, to make some of the mistakes I went through. I want them to understand who Jesus is. I want them to have a better life. I want them to have eternity with me in heaven. And how am I going to help them to be there? So God disciplines us. I don't know that driving a track hole in the snowstorm is a form of discipline. I hope not. I still got to get that thing back. But God disciplines us, and we can choose to stick in our heels and fight that. And that's what I did. For those three years and one month, five days and 13 hours, and I wasn't counting that closely, that I served during the Gulf War and that time in the military, I fought hard against what God wanted to change in my life. And I fought so hard that I was so miserable that God said, all right, you want to take it the hard way? 
I'll let you just take it the hard way. And I finally ended up so beat down and depressed that my roommate was scared of me. Now, I'm only 5'10 and a half, back then about 150 pounds, but I had a 6'2 roommate that was scared to death that I was going to take him out in the sleep because I was just, I was angry. But what was going on in that time was I was rebelling against God, and God said, okay, you want to go that route? Go that route. And I ended up working myself into such a hole that all I could do was look to God to get out, and he sent a ministry to reach out to me, and over some food and Bible study, he drug me out of that hole. But prior to that, I fought that discipline, rather than just take and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in my life right now? I didn't want to do that. That's no fun. I wouldn't have been popular. I'd have been that Jesus freak on a frigate. Boy, freaky Jesus freak frigate guy. I don't know what they would have done to that. Oh, man. So be encouraged. You're a child of God. Embrace the discipline. It's not going to be fun but allow God to work through your life. Fourth point, God has a harvest for you. Hebrews 2, verses 10 and 11. Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's a harvest of righteousness and peace. I know as I've been growing in my faith, there's more peace in my life. And God wants this for every one of us. As we go through the process of sanctification, we will find peace. It may not be fun in the process. That day I found myself laying on the floor in my barracks was not fun. They used to just find me falling asleep just in weird places. Just would stop and boom, down. But when I got my life right with God after that, I had such peace. And God has it for all of us. He gives us rest so we can go to the next step. Number five, you are God's poem or handiwork. For we are God's handiwork created, and this is Hebrews 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, I mean Ephesians 2, verse 10. Sorry, I just jumped chapters or books. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Whew. Should we just start over again? Let's play the video again. That was going really well. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're created to do good works. God wants to work through us. He wants to use us. I have no skill set, in my opinion, to be a camp director. None. Other than this, I love people. I love to see young people come to know the Lord. I love to see the college students growing in their faith. Partially because of what I went through, I want to help them to get through that as well because we all go through that. Beyond that, I don't think I have any skill set. All those years of college and everything, 
but I know that God has a plan, and he asked me to do this, and he's working through that. So I can honestly tell you, when you see amazing things happen, it's God at work. It's God at work. We are God's handiwork. He wants to work through you and do amazing things through your life if you submit to him. And I'm going to close with this, if I can find it. We've got so many notes, so little time. Oh, we still got 10 minutes. I could stay up here for a while. We're on the right page now. You guys are starting to panic. I want to close with this. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And this is Paul writing, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's my prayer for all of us, that we will continue to allow God to work out His will in our lives. Someday when we all get to heaven, we'll look back and we'll share our stories of track hoes and blizzards and we'll see what God was really, really working on at that time. I want to close in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll go on with our day. Father God, I just thank you for this congregation, for these people that are taking this Sunday to spend some time to worship you, to open your word, to watch a funny video. Lord, I just thank you that you truly desire struggle with Cindy, your masterpiece. And Father, I know like me that many of us struggle with being able to give up that control. We want to work on what we want to work on when we want to work on it. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to give up that control, to allow you to guide us to what you want to work on. Lord, that you would make us your masterpiece in your image. And Father, that you'd walk alongside of us, that you'd help us to walk alongside each other as we go through this process of sanctification. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us and this opportunity we've had. We ask that we'd be a blessing to those that we are around. We ask that your will be done in this election. We ask a blessing upon Pastor Charlie and PJ as they're at another church ministering, Lord. We thank you for all these things in your precious name. And they all said, Amen. all right, I'll invite the ministry team back up. Any announcements? There's nothing at all. Do they not need to come up? <laughs> They're there. You know what? A mirror right there would be really handy. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Tony.